Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. Two of the most challenging words, two of the most difficult words to implement and execute in the human language, especially the English language, are the words do right. Those two words are so hard for so many people. Just do right. Be responsible. Just make wise choices. Do what is right. But in order to do right, you've got to be right with God and you've got to know what is right based on what the Lord speaks. John Wesley has been quoted as saying, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. I read that and I was like, that's right. Just do right. No matter who you're with, no matter who you're interacting with, no matter what's taking place, just do right. And that's what we pray for ourselves. That's what we pray for our loved ones. Man, I just want to see them do right. I want to see them be right with God. I want to see them walking in peace in the fullness of the gospel. Man, I just, I, I just want to see them living right. What does that look like? What does it mean to be right, to know right, to do right? Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, now it happened. That phrase appears oftentimes in Scripture, like even back in 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says, now, it happened at the time of year that kings go out to battle, that David stayed at, at home. It happened. <clears throat> it happened. What, what, what happened? Now, it happened that Jesus was passing through some grain fields on the Sabbath. It just happened. His disciples were picking some of the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and was eating the grain. But, 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 some of the Pharisees said, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Listen to me here. The Sabbath was supposed to be the most joyous, celebratory day of the week for the Jews. Now imagine this. Imagine working six hours a day from sunup to sundown, and you had this cruel, harsh boss, this landowner that was so demanding and brutal to you. And so whether you were a carpenter, whether you were a farmer, whether you were a fisherman, this is where the old cliche comes from. Man, they were working me like a Hebrew slave. Demanding and cruel and harsh in these brutal conditions. And all, all, all I'm trying to do is just provide for my family. These people were working in such conditions where there, there was no pensions, there was no retirements, there was no 401ks, there was no vacation. Man, we were being worked like a Hebrew slave. When God gives the Ten Commands to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, the one that he spends the most time defining and explaining in Exodus 20 of the Ten Commands is the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a gift from God for man to enjoy. And it literally meant, hey, 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 take a break. Breathe. Unplug. 
The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew dairy. It comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And the word Shabbat literally means to stop and delight. Stop working. Stop wanting. Stop worrying. Just, just stop and delight in God, worship God, honor God, reflect on the Lord, unplug from all this other stuff and spend one day, at least one full day, resetting, refocusing on the Lord. We live in a culture where it's so hard for people to stop, to rest, to reflect, to give thanks, to live with gratitude, to worship God, to acknowledge God. When you go back and look in the seven days of creation, what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. And he implemented for man, hey, I want you to stop and take a day. Get aside, worship, reflect, Pray, present to me, commune with me. But the problem of this day was that the Pharisees had become the self-righteous enforcers of the law. When you look at the Pharisees, if you're new to the faith, Pharisee was, they were not fair, you see. They were constantly putting all these burdens and this guilt and shame on people. And by this time that Jesus comes on the scene, they have added about another 50 rules and regulations and stipulations to the Sabbath. The, the Jewish leaders of that day, they had hijacked the Sabbath. They had made it what God never intended for it to be. And they focused on what you can do and what you can't do and what's allowed and what's forbidden. It was a rule-oriented system. So when you look at the Pharisees, you would say, yes, they were the makers of the law. They were the enforcers of the law. Here's a fundamental problem, but they were not always the keepers of the law. The Pharisees had a mindset that said, you do as I say, but not as I do. David Guzik shared this story. He said in 1992, three apartments in an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood in Israel burned to the ground on a Sabbath. The tenants asked a rabbi if it would violate the Jewish law if they call the fire department. In the half hour it took the rabbi to decide, the fire spread to two neighboring apartments and burned all three down. Is it okay if we do this? What are the rules? What are the laws? What can we do and what can't we do? I've got to call somebody else and ask them, Rabbi, what do you think? Well, let me think about that. In doing so, destruction takes place. The Sabbath was never intended by God to be a burden on the people. It was never a list of rules to keep. They had missed the heart of God. They had misrepresented the heart of God. And I was like, yeah, that happens. Did any of you in this room grow up around legalism? Did any of you get hit, list, get hit with a list of rules that you were supposed to follow? Were you taught that it is wrong for Christians to fill in the blank? 
It's wrong to play ball on Sunday. You know, for 20 years I ministered in the locker room, and we have taken setting aside the Sabbath and honoring God on the Sabbath. We have abused it royally with all this travel ball crap that we see happening now, and people justify, well, it's okay. You, you still need a Sabbath. But many of those guys, when I would walk in, I'm like, they're playing ball on Sunday, but we're, we're bringing the word to them. It's wrong for Christians to play cards, not just on the Sabbath, any day of the week. Don't go see that movie, Jesus Revolution, because it is wrong to go to a movie theater. It is wrong to have a TV. Teresa and I were talking this week as I was just talking through this message, and she said, growing up in that apostolic Pentecostal environment, there was so much, Kara, just weightiness and just blame and guilt. It is wrong for a girl to wear jeans. You've got to wear a dress. It is wrong to wear jewelry. It is wrong to wear makeup. Anybody here? Oh, if Bobby Boucher was quoting it, he would say, Mary Kay is of the devil. <laughs> I heard that. My first introduction, this independent, fundamental, legalistic style environment. It is wrong to listen to country. It is wrong to listen to rock. It is wrong to have drums. That's devil music. You're a guy. You got to get a haircut. Can't touch your ears. You got to be off the collar. When I could grow hair, I grew hair. <laughs> Anybody grew up around guilt, shame, condemnation? And the one thing I've observed over the years is that legalism has destroyed many. Legalism in its purest definition is nothing more than a bunch of man-made rules that are supposed to appear to be God truth. Rules without relationship promote rebellion. We're going to give you all these rules. You've got to perform, and performance Christianity will wear you out. It's so exhausting. Do this, avoid that, and there's no joy and there's no peace and there's no comfort. There's just bondage. It's religion. My working definition of religion, you need to get this. My working definition of religion is a return to bondage. I'm religious. I'm not. Oh, cash. A dude didn't found religion. No. He didn't find religion. Jesus found him. But so many of us grow up paralyzed. And Jesus said, the Sabbath, oh, the Sabbath was made for man. And not man for the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath for man to enjoy, for man to redeem and for man to focus on God. Jesus said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's all about worshiping God and knowing God. And God has given man this day to set aside to worship and reflect. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus said, uh, I'm bringing new wine. I'm bringing new wine. 
And new wine that Jesus was bringing was a new understanding of how to redeem and enjoy the Sabbath. Verses 38 and 39 of Luke 5, he says, new wine, oh, new, new wine that I'm bringing must be poured into new, fresh wine skin. But no one after drinking old wine wishes for the new, for he says, oh, the old is good enough. The heart and the core of religion says, the old's good enough, Steve. The law is what we know. The, not, the law is what we like. The, the old allows us to stay in power, allows us to stay in control. The old allows us to call the shots. Uh, uh, we like the old because we prefer don't miss it tradition over truth. We prefer tradition over truth. In the old is all about rules, power, control, dominance, tradition. What is the Sabbath? It's the most joyous day in the life of a Jew. It should be the most joyous day for us. That's the reason David would pen, man, I was so glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let's go worship. Let's go pray. Let's go be with Jesus. Let's go fellowship with other people. And the world will tell you, 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 you don't need fellowship. Man, just chill out. Grab you a cup of joe. Throw your jammies on, dude. Just watch it online. That's enough. No, you need a Sabbath. You need community. You benefit from community. You benefit from corporate worship. On another Sabbath, verse 6, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. Jesus entered the synagogue. He was teaching. There was a man there whose right hand was withered. Jesus was teaching. Oh, look, I'm going to share with you God's hope and God's truth. And I'm, I'm going to share with you a message from the Father. Abba's heartbeat. And he notices that there, there's a man there who had a withered hand. The scribes and Pharisees were watching Jesus closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. They were not, not there to worship God. They were not there to glorify God. They were not there to Shabbat and stop and delight with God. They, they were not there for that reason. They were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said to the man with a withered hand, get up and come here. Jesus then looks at the religious people and said, question, is it lawful to do good or harm on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to do good or harm, to save a life or to destroy it, to call the fire department or to call a rabbi. Wait, what, what, what are we talking about here? Jesus says, what's right? But they, the church people of that day, the religious posse of that day were filled with rage. And they discussed together what they might do to Jesus. The makers of the law, the enforcers of the law, what were they doing? I've had people do this. Yeah, I was listening to you to see if you said anything wrong today, brother. 
Why? You were looking for a reason to accuse, to make an accusation, to condemn, to slander. You were looking for a reason so that you would be justified in exercising rage, so that you could get into attack mode. So you came to church to look for reasons not to come back to church. Really? Well, there was a couple things that you did not factor in. Number one, you did not factor in that your opinion doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? If I was seeking man's approval, I couldn't be God's servant. You, You didn't factor in the gospel. You see, there's a difference, and you've got to know this. There's a difference in having a critical eye versus having a critical spirit. A critical eye can be very beneficial and very helpful. A critical eye will try to discern what's happening here in the spirit world. What's happening? A critical eye will allow you to appraise A critical eye seeks redemption. A critical eye is looking to love. A critical spirit will damn and condemn and judge and slander and destroy. And a lot of people will mask a critical spirit thinking they have just a critical eye, but when you see them coming, you go, whoo. Brennan Manning once said, beware. Of the man who only has a hammer in his toolbox because everything looks like a nail to him. There's some people when you see them coming, you're like, man, they're about to break out the sledgehammer. They just want to hit something, they want to destroy something. And you go, that 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 that's some of our marinade, Trey. I mean, well-intended people. If you're going to come to our church, it's King James only, dude. You understand. Get a haircut. No mix swimming. What verse are you quoting now? Right. Scripture taken out of context to promote an agenda. Religion is a return to bondage. Stop, stop. When you read this, it's like, Jesus, what do you want us to see in this? He goes, I want you to see that there's a human being right there. There, There's a real person right there. And that person has had this withered hand needs help. Well, what do you want us to see? I, I want you to see that you need to stop just sitting around arguing and debating issues with a self-righteous posture and actually step into somebody's life and love them and help them. That's what I want you to see. Oh, you're good at debating issues. You're good at knowing the arguments. You're good at proving why you're right. You see, the Sabbath and every day, the Son of Man is Lord of it all. 
Every day is a day to worship God. Every day is a day to glorify God. Every day is a day to extend compassion and grace and mercy to your neighbor. Every day is a day that you can love somebody else. Really, yes. So, Mama Kay, I was thinking, like, what would Jesus do in our day? What would he do in these religious bondage circles? What would he do? What would he do when a 17-year-old girl who was pregnant, not married, pregnant out of wedlock, walked in? And he looked at her, and she is really considering terminating this pregnancy. Would Jesus stand up amongst church people and say, what, what, what do you think? Is abortion right or wrong? All my pro-lifers come over here. All the pro-choicers come over here. Let's just debate this thing today. Would Jesus do that? Would he incite an argument over the issue Jesus knows truth. Jesus is truth. Jesus is life. Or would he look at this 17-year-old girl who's looking for love in all the wrong places, and would he look at her with compassion and grace because she's been made in his image and offer her love? Is he going to minimize truth, trivialize truth, ignore truth? No. But he's not going to incite an argument saying, take a side, Republican or Democrat, take a side, and let's get together and just fight this thing out. He'd go, those are people creating my image trying to figure it out. Everybody's at a different place. Everybody's got sincere, genuine struggles going on. They will know you by your love for one another, not by your arguments and not by your ability to debate. Jesus, you know what's right? Oh, yeah, I know what's right. Young guy walks in, battling homosexuality. Is Jesus going to stand up and say, so what do you think? Should gays be allowed to attend church? Is gay marriage okay? Jesus knows what God's design of marriage is better than any person on the planet. Is he going to minimize truth? Is he going to shrink back from truth? No. He knows that marriage is defined as one man with one woman in covenant for life. But he's going to see a guy struggling, trying to get his needs met apart from the Lord. He's going to love him, Jack. He's going to love him. But he's going to love him so much that he won't let him stay where he is. John 8, look, we cut this woman in adultery. The law of Moses said, stoner. Who said that? The Pharisees, the scribes. We caught this woman butt naked. Bam, we got her. What do you say, Jesus? Looking down, scribbling in the dirt. I would say this. I would say you who are without sin, you who are perfect, go ahead and throw your first stone. I, I would say the law says kill her, but you who are without sin, it says kill you too. So you who are without sin, go ahead and throw your rocks one by one, the oldest to the youngest, drop them. 
Jesus looks and says, where are those who accuse you? Where are those that condemn you? They're not here. Neither do I. I don't applaud adultery. I don't applaud what you are doing. But listen to me. You've been looking for life. You've been looking for hope. You've been looking for salvation. You've been looking for deliverance. Now go and don't do that anymore. Who knows truth? He does. Drug addict walks in. Mm, bam. It's a great day to be alive. What do y'all think? Should marijuana be legalized or not? Jesus knows what the right answer is. Jesus knows truth. He never minimized. He never trivialized. He never kicked truth aside. But he looked at the person. He goes, man, I love you. And Teresa, he looks at us today and he goes, oh, man, I love you. Oh, I care so much about you. I know you got hurts. I know you got struggles. I know you got shame. I know you got bondage. But I love you. You don't have to keep doing that. I love you. Why? The Lord wants to see each and every one of us delivered from anything that has us in bondage. I'm in bondage. I'm looking for love, acceptance, worth, significance, security. I've been looking at all these wrong places, and I'm empty, and I'm confused, and my life is unraveling, and Jesus says, I want you free and walking in holiness. So whether it's the teenage pregnant girl or the person struggling with homosexuality or whether it's the drug addict or whether it's the person that walked in here today struggling with porn or lying or gossip or slander or whatever your guilt is, my Savior came to set the captive free. And whoever is free becomes free indeed. Jesus, what, what, what are you doing? I'm extending life. That's what you're doing. But I've been around this church culture stuff for many years. And a lot of people have grown up in church and have never grown up in Christ. And they've got this critical spirit about them. And they see someone struggling in life and they look and go, I don't hang around people like that. Like that. What, what is that? I, I don't hang around that. Brother, I'm going to be honest with you. I know I got issues, but at least I'm not a fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. I feel you. Oh, brother, I just was going to tell you, man. I, we visited the cross for the last two weeks, but y'all just do church wrong. Appreciate it. <laughs> you know, Richard, if they would have done this with their kids, there ain't no way Johnny would be such a hellion. Mm -hmm. So your tassel's turn. If he wasn't working all the time chasing a dollar, she wouldn't have had the affair. I hear all this junk, crap. A self-righteous, judgmental attitude 
is detrimental. Jesus said, let me ask you a question. Why do you want to point out the speck in his eye when you got a stinking log in your own eye? When did you become a master of pointing out BBs when you've got a boulder? Why do you want to focus on issues and attack the person instead of loving them? I think Jesus would say, y'all know what doing right means? John Mark, doing right means loving people. It means loving them. It doesn't mean you ignore truth. It doesn't mean that you throw the word out the window. We're not talking about greasy, cheap stuff. We're talking about the love of Jesus leads us to walking in righteousness and holiness. What do you know about religion? Religion loves political and theological debates. Religion loves focusing on issues. Religion ignores people. Matthew 23, Jesus made this statement. He said, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Do you not realize that you have neglected the heart of heaven? which means you don't show justice and mercy and faithfulness. You may tithe and you may do certain things where people applaud you when they can see you, but you blind guides, you don't know where you're at, where you're going, and you're trying to lead others. You blind guides. You, you mislead, you hypocrites, you frauds. Hmm. Lord have mercy. James 4.17 says this. This is so crucial. The one, Candace, who knows the right thing to do, the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, they sin. The right thing is to honor God. The right thing is to love your neighbor. The right thing is to extend the same grace that God extended to you when he plucked you out of the ruins of darkness. The right thing is to see people that have been created in the image of God that are desperate for redemption. James 4.17 doesn't read, the one who has superior knowledge and can articulate his arguments and opinions as a lawyer is justified doesn't say that. Oh, oh, you know the argument and the issue. Is it important to know the argument and the issue? Yes. What's the argument? What's the issue? Okay, I want to know it. But I have to look at the person and go, man, they're lost. They're alienated. They're separated from God. They don't have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Their flesh patterns have patrol them and control them for years. What can I do to love this person toward Jesus? Not what can I do to come alongside right now and debate an issue that's not going to save the person. Love them. Point them to the gospel. Live the gospel. Let them cry on your shoulder. Let them work through their stuff. Verse 10 says that Jesus, I love this verse right here. 
<laughs> Caleb, this is such a powerful verse to me. It says, Jesus looked around at all of them, at the scribes, at the Pharisees, at the church folk, at the lawmakers, at the law enforcers. He looked at them. And what was his look? His look was love, compassion, and grace because that's who Jesus is. Their look was shame, condemnation, guilt, attack mode. Jesus was just being Jesus. He looked around with compassion and love. And I believe his look communicated, ah, oh, y'all have a lot of right answers but y'all ain't got no love. Did Jesus look at them with the same look they gave him? Shame, guilt, attack mode, rage? That's not Jesus. The Jesus on the cross would cry out, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. When Jesus looks into your eyes, what does he see? When Jesus looks into your eyes, what does he see? Does he see judgment, condemnation, harshness? Or does he go, I see love, I see grace, I see mercy, I see a person who not only gets the gospel, but wants to release that gospel to other people. Hey, I looked in your eyes. What did you see? Did you see Jesus in me? When I sat down with that person, did you see Jesus in me? That conversation we just had, did you, did, did you see Jesus in me? After looking at them all, all of us, Man, y'all are mad. Man, y'all are angry. Y'all are looking for a reason to rip me. After looking at them all, he said to withered hand mad, stretch out your hand. And it was restored immediately. Come here. <laughs> you appreciate a proper interpretation of new wine on the Sabbath, withered hand man. And if we really understood that when we walk in here on Sunday, we're all withered in some area and we need a fresh touch, we need new wine, we need a new revelation, we need change to be broken, we need to cry out, awaken his heart today, Lord, free me. Jesus, what did you see? Well, they all saw an opportunity to accuse. They all saw an opportunity to rage. They all saw an opportunity to degrade and attack me. What did you see? I, I, 
I saw a dude that needed help. I saw a guy that needed love. I saw a person that needed redemption. I saw a person that needed restoration. I saw an opportunity to do right. (laughs) I I, I saw that. I, I, I saw an opportunity to honor God. I saw an opportunity to glorify my father. The Greek word for rage, when I was studying this, the Greek word for rage means irrational and pathological anger. This stuff is so deep-seated and deep-rooted. It meant violent hostility. Man, they were mad. Y'all are so mad. Did y'all see that person? No. What'd you see? We saw an object for a theological debate. That's all we saw. We, we, We saw an object that we could use to leverage our position. You you didn't see a person to love? You didn't see a person made in the image of God? No. And I'm telling you, I get rocked. I get rocked by the Holy Spirit. I majored in criminal law when I was in undergrad, criminology. I've always been fascinated with the criminal justice system. I watched trials and cases. Many of you have. I told Barb this morning, go down to work out, come back up, shower. I said, Barb, I'm telling you, it's so hard to really believe this. It's so hard to really fathom this. It's so hard to really know this is true. I said, Barb, but the truest thing about Alec Murdoch is not that he screwed people out of millions. And it's not that he killed his wife. And it's not that he killed his son. And it's not that he put on this fake attempt of suicide. The the craziest thing about Alec Murdoch is he is loved by God. And that blows my mind. Blows my mind. Tim, the truest thing about you is I love you. Oh, man, I love you. Lord, I'm so jacked up and I got all these skeletons and all this pain. I love you. You don't have to walk in guilt. You don't have to walk in shame any longer. You don't have to walk in condemnation. You you definitely don't have to walk in legalism. But come here. I, I want you to know me. I want you to know my heart. I want you to walk in freedom. That's what you want? Yeah. That's what I want. (laughs) What's so brutal as we read this text right here is after they ignore the man, after they show no compassion and mercy to the man, they rally together, Rick, and this is what they talk about. How can we eliminate Jesus? Do you know that the core of religion is to eliminate Jesus? We come up with our checklist. We come up with our little system. We come up with our little formulas. And it's like, well, I can can live the Christian life and not have to really walk with Jesus, know Jesus, honor Jesus. I got my system down. Oh, it's at church on Sunday. No, but do you know Jesus? 
Do you love Jesus? Do you hang out with Jesus? There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. No, I grew up in church, not in Christ, Tim. I understand. Hey, so let me ask y'all a question. What is lawful? What honors God? Doing good on the Sabbath or doing harm? Let me ask you a question. What do you think? Is it better to save a life or destroy a life? That's what Jesus asked him. What, what, what do you think? I'm bringing new wine. And new wine is the spirit-filled, spirit-controlled. It doesn't lead to intoxication. It leads to freedom and joy and love. I'm bringing new wine. We don't want it. We like the old. Yeah, you want power. You want control. You want dominance. Uh, uh, uh. But I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold or anything that man can offer. Jesus says, hey, uh, they're going to know that you belong to me with how well you can debate issues. They're going to know you belong to me by what stance you take on these critical debates. Hey, you know how they're going to know that you really belong to me is how well you love other people. You're not going to shrink from truth. You're not going to minimize truth. You're not going to, you're not going to do away with truth. You see, I'm full of grace and truth. And, and I want you to extend grace to that person. Like, man, I love Davis. The truth is, truest thing about Davis is he's loved by God. And I love Taylor. The truest thing about Taylor is he's loved by God. I love Chris, man. The truest thing about him is he's loved by God. I love Chet. The truest thing about him, he's loved by God. The truest thing about my son, Caleb. Oh, dude, I love you. But the truest thing about you is that you're loved by God. Do not allow rules to replace a relationship with the king, repent, surrender, yield. 